0: This show was created for you, the broken Catholic who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Vicki Gould. She is the author of 10 international best selling books like Easy Writer and Standing in the Gap, and has also helped 101 other authors become worldwide best-selling authors. She's been seen on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, entrepreneur.com, Huffington Post, TEDx, and featured alongside great thought leaders like Lisa Nichols, Joe Vitale, and T. Harv Ecker. Vicki lives in Michigan with her husband and three children, is obsessed with shoes enjoys karaoke, God bless her, dancing, and cooking. Vicki also has a chronic illness called Lyme's disease. You can find her at vickigould.com, vickigould.com. We're going to speak about Lyme's disease or chronic illness and the church and God and faith and what to do when God picks you and allows uh, illness and suffering uh, for years, a pain sometimes. Um, how do you keep your faith going? How do you trust in God's plan for your life when you don't see it? All you see and feel is pain. That's what we're going to get into de- today. So if you can relate to that or know somebody who has chronic illness, um, definitely share this episode with them. Um, Vicki, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps thank in you. that intro, would you?
1: Oh yeah, you did very well. Just that Lyme does not have an S on the end. So
0: thank you, thank <laughs> you for showing my ignorance right out the gate on my own show. I really appreciate that. Lyme disease, let yes. me correct the typos. It, it
1: was named after Lyme, Connecticut, where there was a um, excessive number of juvenile arthritis cases. And the moms, right? Moms rule the world. (laughs) Gotta just throw that in there. Um, The moms got together and they they started thinking, there's something wrong with this. Why are there so many of our children now with juvenile arthritis? It doesn't make sense that our community would have so many cases all of a sudden, right? Um, So it got named because of that city and the moms fighting to find out what was up with their children.
0: Did not know that. I thought it was something like in the the limestone or rock in the earth or something like Mm. that, but look at that, ignorance. (laughs) Awesome. All right, so take a minute, share something personal about you, other than Lyme disease, Um, that very few people in your business life actually know.
1: Oh, golly gee. I didn't know that was going to come up. Um, Something that people don't know. uh, Probably a lot of people don't realize that I was an ice skater at one time.
0: An ice skater? Were you any good at it?
1: Uh, I was, but I wasn't. Okay, so like a very good Asian, I learned a stringed instrument. My stringed instrument happened to be piano, which is very popular. And I had to practice, 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 so much so that I decided that I hated it, even though I was really good at it. When we moved from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, I had my dad wrapped around my little finger, just like most youngest daughters do. And I said to him, I don't wanna practice piano. I don't wanna do piano. I don't wanna compete at piano. I don't want anything to do with the piano ever again. I'm done. My mother was the one was saying, no, my dad would let me do whatever the heck I wanted. Um, so I started ice skating before she moved down. She was still in Pennsylvania selling the house. My dad had a job, so he brought me, might as well start school, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so I started ice skating when I was 15. So as a 15 year old, I was good in the 15 year old category, but there was not that much competition for beginners at age 15. So I could say I was good, but you know, (laughs) it's all relative.
0: That's pretty cool. Daddy wrapped around the finger. I have a brand new baby girl daughter, Alara. And already she's trying to woo me with her little sparkly eyes. It's oh, not going to work, she, Alara.
1: She's already got you. <laughs> just admit it. It's it's done. Do Listen. not re- resistance is futile.
0: I was literally just thinking that and about to say that. Resistance <laughs> is futile, the Borg. Wow. Good reference. Okay. So this is why I invited you on the show, Vicki. Um, so many people, as you know, uh, suffer with chronic illness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and they ask themselves, why? Why me? Mm-hmm. God, why? Yeah. You know, many of them are Christians. Many are not. Mm-hmm. But the ones that are Christians ask God why, and they, they hit their knees many times. Um, just like, why does this, why does my life have to look like this? This is not what I planned for my life. I had this whole exciting, wonderful future ahead. Mm-hmm. And all my friends got to keep going on with their lives. And yep. mine kind of like got hit by a train. Yeah. And just got derailed. And now here I am like, why can't I just be normal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know people like this. I've shared my oldest sister uh, has chronic illness for over 15 years now. Mm -hmm. No cure in sight. Doctors can't figure out, they can't even diagnose what it is for 15 years. And she's in excruciating pain just 24 7, Mm -hmm. um, wakes up with it, fatigue, nausea. Um, And so not only is she the victim of this. Painful, dreaded disease, but those around her suffer as well, don't they?
1: Yeah, they because
0: do. Because there's this sense of powerlessness, not only for the person who has the illness, but for the family members who love the person. Yeah. And they can't take away their pain. Mm-hmm. I hope I did an okay job of just kind of creating that visual. Um, of what is going on in in the life, and please go ahead and fill in the gaps of what I missed.
1: Yeah, you know, I think when it first I first started getting diagnosed, right? I I was misdiagnosed first with lupus, and something inside me said. Uh, I don't think that's quite right because you know lupus is a bit subjective I went into the doctor he like squeezed my fingers and he said oh you got lupus let me write you the script I'm like is that are you serious that's it so I didn't really trust that so I continued to search um and I think part of chronic illness like with your sister probably the search gets exhausting
0: that's exactly it
1: what is this thing why can't we figure it out why does it have to be so complicated and then, you know, it was, oh, you have early onset osteoarthritis. You have early onset perimenopause. You have early on- I'm like, wow, I'm pretty precocious. This is awesome. You know, um, and then you just. Such go- an
0: overachiever.
1: <laughs> and you just go, and yeah these, these things just don't seem to fit together. Right. And there's part of you that has to um, want to continue that because there's a point that some people just say, oh, I give up. I don't know whatever it is, it is what it is. And, and I can't do anything about it. And maybe it's part of my stubborn nature that I just kind of was like, yeah, this doesn't sound right. I'm not sure. Let me keep figuring it out. Let me keep looking. Um, a friend of mine suggested the doctor that finally did diagnose me. And at the time I thought, Oh, cool. We have a name. And that means with the name, we have a solution. Little did I know at the time that there's no protocol. There's no cure. There's like doctors are not taught. There's so many misconceptions out there about Lyme disease that in a way I was kind of on my own. We were all, and we still are, all Lyme disease patients are guinea pigs because they're just trying things. And it, presents differently in some people. Some people it's more neurological. Some people it's more like digestive things. Some people it's joint things. Some, like It just depends on the person. So now you get Lyme disease people talking in forums and everybody's got different things going on and we all can't figure it out. And it's different for every person, I think, which makes it really hard for the doctors. And every day you wake up and you wonder what's gonna hurt like i remember every day i'd wake up and it would take me a long time to get out of bed right because you're not moving very fast and you're tired and you hurt and you know then you're dizzy and you feel bad and you're nauseous sometimes and it wouldn't be until and i i can still see my feet like hanging over the edge of the bed as i would do this every day i'm like i don't want to put my feet on the ground because once i put my feet on the ground and stand up that's when i'm going to know what really hurts today And I would sit there for a while and it's like, do I even get up? Maybe I just stay here. It'll be better. I just don't need to get up at all. But, you know, I had kids, we had to get them to school and you know, my husband worked. So it wasn't like he was at home to do all these things. So I had to get up. And really that was the only reason I got up. And then I would take my kids to school at the time they were at a charter school. So I don't know if you know about like the, the whole, like dropping the kids off. Your daughter's still young. You're not dropping her off yet, but the line to get into school to drop your kid off is kind of long. So I would drive about 10 minutes to get to school and we would wait in line. It would be about 20 minutes to get in and out of the school. By the time I got back home, I needed to go to bed. That's all I could do for the day. And so I would go back to bed and I'd get up for a little bit in the afternoon and then I'd go back to bed. And as the kids got older, they knew that when they came home, Um, Because we eventually moved and then they rode the bus. Um, They knew that when they came home, they needed to be quiet because mom would most likely be asleep. She would most likely be in bed if she wasn't asleep. And my kids were fantastic during that time. My husband, I was like, you know, he, for all the things that I got upset with him about during that time, the one thing that he really did right was tell the kids you help mom out. And, you know, my youngest at the time, he was kind of too young to help me out, really. Um, He was, uh, he was more uh, earlier than first through fourth grade, something like that. So he was pretty young. But then my oldest is seven years older than he was. So, and having a girl first, I know you have a girl first, is always good because they are much more maternal than the boys. My middle guy would leave my youngest one in a bloody heap on the side of the road with his bike and he'd come home and I'm like okay so where's trenton and he fell off his bike he skinned his knee i'm like can you maybe go back and get him help him out you know and i know my daughter would never do that but anyways that's a side note um so the one thing that i do recall you know they they grew up knowing that they needed to help me out and on the one hand i have so much mom guilt about what i didn't get to do for them the the school events that I didn't get to go to, the sports, you know, championships that I didn't get to go to. On the other hand, they've learned to be so independent that makes me proud. Um, My son is moving out and going to college. He'll be a junior, so he got an apartment this year. He knows how to unclog the toilet. (laughs) He's known how to unclog the toilet for a while. Like I saw him one day taking the plunger from one bathroom to the other. I'm like, okay, what is going on? I'll ask him later. Oh, yeah, the toilet was clogged. So, like, they just take care of certain things themselves. They learn to do their laundry, like, when they hit double digits. Like, 10 was a celebration for me because that meant that they were doing their own laundry. Because um, laundry was hard for me. I, it was hard for me to get the laundry out because it's heavy when it's wet. I'm a little person. Um, and then to move it into the dryer, it was hard. And before the house we're in now, the laundry was in the basement. So then I had to go down the stairs and I had to bring all the laundry upstairs. And I remember one day I said to my husband, he had just got home and I said, not been able to do the laundry. I really need help. I'm exhausted. I can't do it, but the laundry needs to get done. Can you do the laundry? And I feel bad because as the healthy spouse, I had depended on him for a lot of things. We didn't have family. So it was just us. We don't have a lot of extended family to help us, which for some people, you know, that just makes it more difficult. Other people have family that can come in and help. Anyways, I remember that day, he must've had a hard day at work, frustrated, you know, like we've been dealing with this for years. And I know for him, it was hard for him. He had lost a spouse that he had married, which I'll get to in a second, but he threw down his keys that day. He says, fine, I might as well stay home from work because you can't do anything and I can't work and do this and you know, whatever. And so there were times when our marriage was just so explosive because of the illness and we really had to go back to our vows and our promise and looking to God and saying, you know what, there's a reason for this. We don't know what it is. And like you said before, looking for the lesson and went through plenty of days where I was like, why are you doing this? What did I do? Are you punishing me? Punishing me? I thought I was being a good person. But why are you letting this happen to me? Why did you give me something that is incurable? Why couldn't you just give me something that was short term? Let me learn the lesson and let me get better. Like, you know, those were the things that I said. And finally, you know, I, I, I just had to get to that point where I said, you know, he's got the bird's eye view, right? We're in, the, we're the little mouse in the maze. We don't know which way it's going. And he's got this bird's eye view. Um, and we just know that somewhere out the other end, it's going to be fine. And I had to really hold on to that. But there are a lot of times that my husband was angry with me. I was angry with him. We were both angry at God. We were wondering what was going to happen to our life. You know, it's draining the family finances as well. And I'm just like, you know, they're better off without me because, you know, I want the kids to have their things. You know, my, my middle guy will say to me, why why do you now buy the youngest child nice designer tennis shoes? Not that they're like $100 tennis shoes or anything, but, you know. tennis shoes. Why do you do that for him? Why do you buy him track shoes? And when I was his age, I got the $10 shoe from Target or Walmart or whatever. And I had to sit him down and say, you know, I'm sorry that that was the phase of life that you grew up in because we were spending money on me. And I felt really guilty about that. You know, there were times where we really had to budget the food we had to, you know, and there were things that I turned down trying to do. To get myself better because we just didn't have the finances for it. Um, so yeah, lots of mom guilt, and you know, I've had to sit down with the kids and ask them about things. My youngest one probably doesn't remember me any other way, but my oldest one remembers that I went to every school activity. I went. I volunteered at every party. I was the one at church who did children's church. I did um, evening church. You know, Wednesday night church. I did nursery. I filled in for um, the secretary for spring break one year because she wanted to go on vacation. So I just filled in for her. I painted murals on the wall that took forever. I did uh, lettering on the outside as well. Like I I did all sorts of creative things. And then I also did, sometimes I ran the sound for them. and So I was everything. I did a lot of things. And then I also sang sometimes. I'm not really that good of a singer though. and you know to get to the part about church when i started telling them that i couldn't do it they didn't believe me and that's the one thing that if there are pastors or leaders of churches listening to this just because you can't see somebody's illness doesn't mean that they're not ill you need to believe the people in your congregation especially the ones who have spent 15 years or 10 years whatever even if it's one year doing so many things and giving back and, and being faithful and helping out. Um, You know, some people with Lyme, we, we say that it would be easier if we called it Lyme cancer because then people would take us seriously. And I'm not trying to minimize cancer in any way. It is just that if
0: you're trying to, amplify Lyme
1: disease. Right. And, and I did a passion project that is called the waiting room and it was the invisible voices of Lyme disease. One of the, um, one of the stories in there, because it was from caregivers, parents of, of children with Lyme disease and then the Lyme disease patients. Right. One of the moms wrote a story in there and it said, where's my casserole? That's what the title was because if you had cancer or if you had something that they felt was more serious, right? You would get casseroles. You would get people helping you with your kids. You would get, instead, Mm -hmm. I was still like, Hey, you want a carpool together? Here's your turn. And I would drive to church with my friends, kids praying to God that he did not let me wreck. Do not let me kill these children because I could not like, I wasn't awake enough. And when I look back at it, I was like, I should not even have been on the road. So that was God's protection on those children and on me. I'm just like, okay, if, if you're going to let me die, please don't do it with these kids in the car because I had three of mine and I'd have three of my friends.
0: Vicki, I'd like to unpack some of what you shared and what an amazing story of oh Well, it's pain, right? It's a, it's a painful story to listen to really. And I'm waiting for the silver lining and we're not there yet. And that's okay. But by the end of the show, we're going to bring a new sense of hope. uh, To my listener somewhere on planet earth, who is suffering with chronic illness and has been for quite some time and maybe has lost their hope, their trust in God. And, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to unpack um, what you said and maybe just give different language to it. And we started off camera a little bit about this, that
1: yeah.
0: I think when we're suffering in life, whether it be chronic illness or depression or anxiety, or just uh, business, financial collapse and ruin, we tend to look up at God and ask him the wrong question. Mm-hmm. We tend to start our questions with why, mm-hmm. why God? Why me? Why now?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why is this happening? Yeah. Why is the pain so intense? Why is this not just temporary, like you asked? Why does this have to be so long-term or uh-huh. permanent? And we ask these why questions when in fact the Bible shows us and tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, uh-huh. right? They're, his, it's far beyond our understanding. So asking the why question is a very it just doesn't work. Okay. We never get an answer that we actually want when we ask the why question to God. I think asking the why question in, in the human realm is a good question to ask. Hey, why'd you do that? Or why am I doing this, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But when we ask God the why question, we always end up dissatisfied with the answer or bitter or angry and mad. and Or we leave them mm-hmm. and we just throw them out. But I think the better question, and, and please jump in here, is to ask what? Mm-hmm. When we turn to God, God, yeah. what are you trying to tell me right now? God, right. what are you trying to show me right now? Mm-hmm. God, what is the lesson in all of this, like you said earlier? So turning back to you, Vicki,
1: yeah.
0: as you're going through all of that. What was God trying to tell you? What was God trying to show you? What was the lesson he wanted you to take from all of these years of suffering and mom guilt, all of it?
1: Yeah, well, you know, all of it's a guess until (laughs) I get to ask him for real, right? Um, But I, I did, I spent a lot of time being bitter about the things that I didn't do prior to illness. I had put myself off for so many years, for so many um, times that I said, I'll do this later. I'll do that later. Um, I pushed this off and that off, and I made myself last. Again, I think moms are very, um, (laughs) it's just typical for a mom to put everybody else first, right? So I spent a lot of time in bed being bitter about people who didn't appreciate me people who like, I let them go first and look, now I don't even get a turn. Um, and I think my part of my lesson was, it is okay to do something for yourself. It is okay to say no to somebody, because I was the person that people at church would say, ask Vicki, she'll do it. Because I would rearrange my schedule and I would inconvenience myself and my children and juggle things and double book things and whatever, just to do whatever it was. People asked, and I, I think felt that in
0: itself, if I could jump in, I think yeah. that in itself is a disease that many of us wrestle with called people pleasing syndrome. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, it's true, and,
0: and it doesn't work because masked within it is this whole self sacrificing.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm a martyr. Yep. Look at me, but it's really just a, a payoff. It's a secret payoff we're getting out of it. Dad, that's true for our ego, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like if we're just being totally honest about it, and we could say, "Well, that's not my intention." Yes, but subconsciously, you're getting a payoff. Oh, that's oh, why true. you're. That's why you're. You're putting others, even strangers, above your own kids, above your own husband. Like that's not God's way. Right. We do it all the time. I didn't mean to go yeah. off on a tangent, but I think it's an no, important that's, thing. to That is drive really home.
1: important. And something that I learned, you know, um, I had always wanted to go to Paris and I thought, oh, my chance is over. I'm never going to get there. I'm too sick to get on a plane. I can't walk around. I can't enjoy it. Even if I were able to land there, I couldn't do anything there. Right. Um, and so. It, it gave me a lot of time. You know, I was spending 16 to 18 hours in bed. So it gave me a lot of time to reflect on life. And I think that was a big lesson for me to see who I was or had become, or I don't know what you want to say and how I wanted to spend the rest of my time. However much time I, you know, at that time I was like, I don't know how much time I have. Right. That's how it felt. Um, now I feel like I'm going to live until I'm a hundred, but you know, at that time it, it wasn't like that. Um, and I think other lessons were, um, you know, to, to, to understand my husband a little bit better and have better communication with them because I, I'm a talker, he's not. <laughs> um, and during this time, we had to get through a lot of things. So we had to improve that relationship. And there were definitely times that it was really bad. Like I wanted to throw all his clothes out the second story window and just, he could come home with all his clothes on the ground and I didn't care. Um, but it, it forced us to have conversations and work on things that maybe we hadn't. And now that I'm kind of on the other side that like I can maintain myself pretty well and I don't have as many implications from Lyme now because I've gotten a little bit further in that healing process. Um, I look back and I realize that I was not the only person who was suffering. I wasn't the only um, uh, patient. I don't know what word I'm using here, but my husband wrote a story in that book that I put together. And some of the things that he put in there, I never realized, I never knew, because like I said, he's not that He doesn't speak that much. So when he wrote the story, he wrote about how he would spend days wondering where his his wife was. The woman that he married that was energetic, that was happy, that was, you know, all this stuff. And am I ever going to get her back? And I realized how much suffering he had on his side, but I was very much focused on what was going on with me. And I felt like I was the only one that was going through it and he wasn't going through anything. So now when I talk to Lyme couples, I tell them, you know, you have to realize that even though you are the person who has the disease, your spouse is also grieving the loss of who you were like you're you're grieving that loss but he is or she is as well too um so so we really get
0: that just firsthand like my sister as an example Um, high energy joyful so full of life young girl all the way through college um where she met my you know brother-in-law and and he's quiet and more reflective type and Mm -hmm. uh, very similar to your your situation. And I've always looked at him um, just like his patience. Mm -hmm. He's such a hardworking, uh, good man, a good father, Mm -hmm. good husband, right? He struggles just like the rest of us, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't think I could do what he's doing. Yeah. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. it's within me Mm-hmm. to stay in that situation yeah. and I know that sounds terrible yeah. but I, I want to be real and transparent like yeah. my sister's a wonderful human being but that lively amazing girl like there was mm-hmm. a death at some point yeah. that the disease just stole that life from her mm-hmm. and and that all gets pushed back on the family right around her there her her kids like grew up with, I wish my mom could be more like mm-hmm. Susie's mom or mm-hmm. why can't my mom do this? Why can't my mom, it's not fair. Yeah. Right. All that mom guilt, like you said, and I know she's got a ton of it, but then there's also wife guilt. Yep. And a lot of times maybe, she, I don't know, maybe she wasn't present present to the, you know, the husband and the pain, just like mm-hmm. you shared openly, but it's there, it's mm-hmm. happening. There's two people suffering, right? Right at right. the very least, if mm-hmm. you're married, and then there's the kids and more, right? And mm-hmm. and then there's the parents that can't take away your pain, yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's just so much suffering that comes with it. So I'd, I'd like to just shift the conversation before we wrap up here. What do you do with the suffering? What do you do with the pain? And and I want to go here for a second because I think in the spiritual sense many times church doesn't teach us what to do with the pain in our everyday life that we experience, whether it's in business, mm-hmm. whether it's in our physical body, whether it's in our relationships mm-hmm. um, or just in our own head, right? Anxiety, yeah. depression, etc. cetera. What do we do with the pain according to God, according to the Bible? Is there mm-hmm. something we can do that where good comes out of it, where God does something good? And what I'm simply asking is, is pain simply meant for us to bear? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I would pose the question, was the only purpose of Jesus bearing the pain of the cross Mm -hmm. just for him to bear the pain of the cross? Or was there a deeper resurrection that was meant to come from that, Mm -hmm. a salvation for all of us? And are we not also co-redeemers with him? I don't want to get too deep here for a second, but what can we do with the pain that we bear, the cross that we carry? Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Mm -hmm. Do we just complain about it and and feel it and go, oh, this sucks, God, why, why, why? Or does the, the Christian, the true believer, take that pain and give it back to God so that he can, Divinize it or use it for suffering in the world or etc. I don't want to give away too much here, but what do you have to say about that, Vicki, in your own life?
1: I think that sometimes we can beat ourselves up for not being perfect Christians during our times of suffering. And we tell ourselves, oh, well, a good Christian would this, or a good Christian would that, or a good Christian would have more faith. A good Christian would. Um, Get through this easier. A good Christian wouldn't yell at their husband or kids during a good. So I think number one, we have to let go of guilting ourselves about what a good Christian would do during that situation, knowing that everybody's going to react their own way and you're allowed to have your moments. Just don't live in that moment and own that moment and be that moment forever. You know, Um, I think so often um, we do ask, like we're saying, why is this me? Why is it? And I had to shift it into, you know, what I was chosen to go through this because of something. And maybe I don't know it just yet, but I will figure it out and I will know, and it will become revealed to me little by little, you know, hindsight is always 2020. There's going to come a point that I go, Oh, okay. This makes a lot more sense. And some of those have come to me, you know, when Moses was given, uh, his, his, uh, what god wanted him to do he was like oh no i'm not the one i don't know. you got the wrong person because yeah, he
0: was he was uh, dumb right like he mute he or whatever like he, he stuttered stutter. and yep. stuff like that
1: and so he, god said well you have Aaron right so his brother was going to help him just like we have spouses and other people who will support us through our journeys and everything we also have to stop trying to be superwoman or take over we tend to give God the problem and then take it back (laughs) okay yeah I trust you I trust you and then the next day you're like I gotta do something about this um and I think sometimes just the waiting is hard and the figuring out but it's about this there's a purpose I may not know what the purpose is it's gonna get revealed to me and everybody has their own form some people have a health suffering some people have a different type of suffering right um and we all have different things that are supposed to teach us something so we need to dig deep to figure out what that lesson is so that we can then use that because I truly believe, and this is why I am a book coach and a storytelling coach in my, in, in my other life, I guess, I don't know what you want to call that, is because when we go through stuff, then we can share it with other people like I'm sharing here with your audience, right? When we go through things, we can share it with other people to help them through their things or shorten their suffering or give them insight, help them to become that person. Cause every day we're trying to be more like Jesus, right? More like Christ. We're supposed to, and every day we get closer by going through these things and asking the questions and learning the lessons and going, oh, and then sharing that with a friend or a family member. And then they go, oh. I see how they're going through their suffering or they're going through their trauma. How can I do that? Or I want to be more like that. Or somebody will say, say to somebody else, Oh, you know what? Um, Vicki has Lyme. So you should talk to her about it. And I get people referring their friends or family, just because they want to get a little bit of hope. They want to know how they can get through it because I'm a little further than they are. And so knowing that our journey and our suffering and whatever's happening in our life has a purpose, um, I think that helps to get through it, uh, and, and just trying to figure out what that is, but not, I mean, not so much like, oh, I got to know right now, or, you know, it, it takes time, right? It takes. How, time. Is,
0: how has your chronic illness helped you to trust and rely on God more than on yourself?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the things that I say all the time to my husband is it's going to be fine. You know, during this time of of, um, COVID, he lost his job. He had a corporate job of 20 years. And so he's a little more stressed, (laughs) a little anxious about how things are gonna turn out because he's really not doing a lot. Like he's not really working, he's collecting unemployment. And so I really had to sit him down and he's like, look at all the proof in our life that everything has always turned out fine. It's gonna continue to turn out fine. Um, I don't know what fine looks like, but I'm not worried about it. And I remember he said to me, I can't believe you're not worried about this. And he told me later that now that he's there with me on the we don't need to worry about it, he went through weeks of, is she for real? Does she really mean this? Or she's she just saying that? Um, I don't know if I believe that. And that's how I think... Um, it has helped me with my faith Faith is just looking back and seeing how many times he has been faithful to me and he has worked things out, whether it was the way I thought it was going to work out or the better way that it worked out. Right. Um, So I I think that's, I hope I answered the question there.
0: You really did look back uh, in your life for evidence of when God showed up for you and i keep a journal for that very reason because i forget yeah i'm I'm human i forget and it's like i could have that big moment of wow god just showed up so powerfully right you've had that before and you're like oh my gosh that was so not me that was god look what god just did Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a month later i forgot it
1: yeah yeah. I'm Even going though to I you. was like,
0: I'll never forget this, God, I'll never forget what you just did for me. A month later, I struggle with something else and I'm in the pain, I'm in the suffering, and I forgot what he did. Mm-hmm. And having it in my journal on those those down on my knee down on my knees days, mm-hmm. uh, just going back when I, I just can't recall it myself because I'm in such a bad place. Yeah. I open the journal and I read the entry. Normally highlighted of what God said to me when I was struggling the last time, or what God, how He showed up for me, and I look for evidence. Yep. And I find the evidence, and it carries me through that current yeah. suffering.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you do the same?
1: I should write it down. Um I have in the past, you know, but that I don't keep the habit all the time, and. It's amazing how many things, you know, I, I'm reading this book about, and it's about like the neuroscience of your brain. Um, and it's all about how uh, we can change our brain, right? And we tend to hold on to the things that are negative sometimes because, uh, you know, the whole fight or flight, like, oh, there's danger, whatever. So the negative things tend to keep, have a bigger impact because we've got to learn something from it. I, I know I'm butchering this whole entire thing, but when we like have something going. that is positive, we just go, yay, celebration, whatever, and we don't do the same. We don't hold it in the same spot in your brain, like yeah. literally, um, because we don't feel like we have to go back to it to keep us out of danger. That makes. I don't know. That makes
0: sense. Yeah, that made a lot of sense, and I think writing it down. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much science also that shows when you write something down, you're like eight times more likely to remember it. Yes, and then if you actually don't remember it, you have it there written down, and you just read it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go back and oh, what was the details? You don't have to do anything. It's written down. Mm -hmm. That has saved me so many times. Yeah. So broken Catholic nation. If you're struggling with chronic illness, I'm just going to kind of sum up uh, three very important um, pieces that Vicki has shared with us. One, don't compare yourself to what a good Christian would do in your situation or what you think they would do. This made up good Christian type of person. Um, And number two, look back for evidence of God's miracles in your life. write them down as they happen so you have it there it's a cheat sheet for your life It's very cool and then number three uh, surrender your sufferings back to God Mm -hmm. so actually offer them up as they're happening and I know this isn't easy I've had to do it Uh, my sister does it all the time like she believes truly believes that her suffering is winning souls for God Mm -hmm. she truly believes that so when she has a really bad day she goes As simple as this, God, I offer to you this pain. Use it however you see fit. Mm -hmm. And God takes that human suffering, so frail, Mm -hmm. what we see as almost worthless or pointless, and he touches it with the hand of God and (laughs) makes it divine, Mm -hmm. supercharges it, if you will, and then rains down graces on the world for people that are other people that need it. And draws them back to him, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, I think so many of us don't believe this very important truth um, that the Bible writes about in Acts, right? The communion of saints, right? We're all in communion with each other. And our suffering can be used to save another soul somewhere on the other side of the planet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's not wasted. And I think that's pointless suffering is more painful than suffering with a purpose. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Like if you knew, Vicki, that your suffering was going to help your son grow closer to God who maybe fell away from God. Mm-hmm. And like God told you, I'm using your suffering, Vicki, to bring your son back to me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Would that give a whole new energy around your suffering? Oh, yeah.
1: You'd be like, oh, yeah, go for it.
0: You'd be like, take more.
1: Yeah, do it.
0: I love him that much. Yep. So, BC Nation, I just want to bring that into this conversation because there's no – if you're stuck in chronic illness, don't let it be wasted. Mm -hmm. Please don't let it be wasted. The pain is too great. Instead, allow God to give it a purpose mm-hmm. to help others. Like that's love, laying down your life for another. Yeah. Giving your pain to another. So, Vicky, let's wrap up the show here. Um, thank you for letting me do my little summary there. Uh, you brought so much to this conversation. I, I can't thank you enough. And I, we just ask that God strikes the hearts of one, one listener somewhere on the planet right now who's going through chronic illness again if you know someone who's going through chronic illness you're not going through it yourself share this episode they need to hear what vicky shared they need to because they feel alone in it Mm -hmm. and they need to know they're not and what to do with that suffering so vicky welcome to my favorite part of the show welcome to the confession round
1: Oh boy. <laughs>
0: I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready?
1: Okay. A little What's scared. Your, okay.
0: Yeah. Get, get, get. What's <laughs> your favorite thing about God?
1: He's always there.
0: What's your least favorite thing about God?
1: I think he's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he He doesn't make himself visible. Right. What are you most afraid of?
1: Oh, gosh, living a life without meaning.
0: Hmm. Got it. What did you spend way too much time doing in your 20s?
1: (laughs) Uh, Chasing after what my mom said would make me happy.
0: (laughs) Got it. Okay. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment. You mentioned Lyme. That was the obvious one. But what else are you currently struggling with, either professionally or personally?
1: Oh, you know, I am an introvert. I don't mind being at home, but I really miss going out for events and traveling and seeing like-minded people and gathering and just taking a break. And I think that's the thing that I struggle with the most during our time at home is that I have not been able to go dress up and have fun. (laughs) Mm.
0: That's so good. Consider doing a getaway. I'm taking my wife uh, away for her 30th birthday this weekend to the Tennessee Mountains.
1: Oh, that'll be fun. Uh,
0: with a couple of the couples, and we're just getting away. Pretty yeah, awesome. So consider yeah. maybe something for you and your hubby. Yeah. What maybe. secret fear do you have about people?
1: Oh, hmm. What secret fear do I have about people? I'm just going to go with my knee jerk reaction, which was that they don't like me, but that's not a secret fear.
0: Got it. What do you wish you had (laughs) learned sooner about God?
1: Oh, how much I could trust him.
0: So good. What's a new habit you want to start?
1: Going to bed earlier.
0: What's a bad habit you want to break?
1: Eating too much chocolate.
0: (laughs) Pick three words to describe who you are now.
1: Oh gosh, happy, Water loaded because I really need to go to the bathroom.
0: That was transfer. This is definitely the confession <laughs> round. Thank you.
1: Um, The third one, what else am I? Um, Now I'm like red-faced and embarrassed. So there you go. There you go.
0: Awesome. <laughs> Pick three words to describe who you were before uh, you gave your pain to God and put all your trust in him.
1: Oh, bitter, resentful, angry. That one was easy.
0: Wow. <laughs> that came quick. And last question, if you could come back to life uh, after you died, look your family and friends, your husband, your kids in the eye, and give them only one piece of advice about human suffering. Mm. What would you say to
1: them? Love each other more.
0: Love each other more. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about uh, chronic illness and God?
1: even though you may not feel this way all the time, you were chosen for this journey specifically because you were the only one who could take it. Boom.
0: Boom. Vicki Gould. You can find her at vickygould.com. Uh, check out the links in the show notes. Vicki, you're my new superhero. Thank you. <laughs> What's the best way for a BC nation to get in touch with you and do you have a gift or something you want to give them or what do you got?
1: Um, they can get in touch with me at vicky at VickiGould.com. I'm on Facebook. They can friend request me, whatever. I am um, on Facebook way too much.
0: <laughs> got it. And listen, you help uh, authors or I aspiring do. authors become best selling authors mm-hmm. um, and really advance their authority, their credibility, et cetera. So if someone's yep. listening right now and that's what they got going on in their professional mm-hmm. life, um, yep. What how do they get started with you or what what's the purpose of them reaching out to you. What's that benefit to them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like if you are somebody who and a lot of people do resonate with, uh, you know, I got to share my story. So I do have a lot of authors who have um, become health coaches or other types of life coaches and things like that, leadership coaches, who know that they had a story, and uh, many of them do have chronic illness or trauma in their past or something, that they know that story could help somebody else, and we use that as the basis of their book and how they can then reach more people and change more lives and help transform people um, through their books. So, yeah
0: have a, a, a little quote I'm trademarking. God okay. just gave it to me in my quiet time with him is, after we're dead and gone, only our words will live on. I like that. It's so true.
1: Yeah. I say to people, you know, you write your book and you get to live forever.
0: Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Vicki, thank you for being on Birkin Catholic. I wish you God's thank love, you. peace and joy you in too. your life, my dear.
1: You too. Thanks for having me on.
0: Cheers. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business.